This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Good afternoon, hello, welcome, and hello and how are you? My name is Echoes. That's right, my name is Echoes. <laughs> it's good to be here, you know. It's a nice day today. And today, because Dexter's not here, so I'm going to have fun. Today we're going to listen to a story, and this story is called The Trojan Horse. So I guess it's about a horse. A horse from Troja. Hmm. It might be something different from that. So let's have a listen and see. (laughs) Many years ago, the brave armies of Greece and Troy were locked in a long, bitter war. The Trojans had captured a beautiful Greek princess named Helen and held her within their fortress city of Troy. It did not seem possible that any man could break into the fortress city of Troy. For days, weeks, months, the Greek soldiers from their camp on a beach near the city assaulted the walls of Troy, but they were always beaten back. Then Ulysses, a great leader of the Greeks, said to his men, I have a plan. It is dangerous, but if it works, the Trojans themselves will take us through the gates of their city. At the order of Ulysses, the Greek soldiers set to work cutting down huge trees, making the wood into planks. From the towers of Troy, the Trojan soldiers watched a big building grow taller and taller day by day until it was six stories high. And when the Greeks pulled away all the work ladders and scaffolds, there stood a huge wooden horse, 80 feet tall. towering walls of Troy, the soldiers and the people gathered to look out across the plain at the great wooden horse. They wondered what it was for, what it meant. The Trojans did not know that Ulysses and five Greek soldiers lay hidden in a dark secret passage inside the wooden horse. All through the night, fire blazed brightly on the beach. The Greeks were burning their tents, just as if they were giving up their camp and sailing back home. When morning came, not a Greek ship or soldier remained. But where they had camped stood the great Trojan horse. The Trojan people poured out of the city to the beach, so they could look more closely at the strange wooden animal. They thought it would make a great monument to their victory over the Greeks. The Princess Cassandra, daughter of the King of the Trojans, warned her people of this Greek gift, but no one would listen. The Trojans decided to pull the great horse inside the walls, into the city of Troy itself. 
The Trojans tied thick ropes around the legs of the huge wooden horse. Hundreds of men took a hand at the ropes. Others lined up behind the horse. Whooping and hollering, laughing at the Greeks who had never been able to scale the towering walls of Troy, the Trojans tugged and pushed and pulled the huge wooden horse slowly from the beach, over the plains, and through the gates of Troy. In the dark, secret passage of the wooden horse, Ulysses and the five soldiers lay quietly waiting. They could feel the horse being moved. What the Trojans had decided to do, neither Ulysses nor his soldiers knew. Suddenly, after a whole day and half a night, the Trojan horse moved no more. An hour passed. Still the horse did not move. Ulysses gave a signal. The soldiers felt their way silently down the dark, secret passage, following Ulysses. Cautiously, he opened the trapdoor. Just as he hoped, the Trojans had brought the horse inside the walls of Troy. The city was sleeping now, and the walls were unguarded. Ulysses drew his sword. He ordered the soldiers to follow, and he dashed for the main gates of the city. The Greek soldiers quickly tied the sleeping Trojan guards, while Ulysses scampered up the sentry tower. Holding a torch high above his head, he signaled to the Greek army, which had turned around and sailed back to the beach during the night. And even as Ulysses and his men opened the gates of Troy, the Greek army was marching across the plain. Caught completely by surprise, the Trojans were easily defeated by the Greek soldiers who found their beautiful princess and took her back safely to Greece. And brave Ulysses was named the greatest of the Greek heroes. Well now, how do you like that? Ha! It wasn't a horse from Troja after all. It was some very sneaky men, yes. And I think that's where they get their story from, beware Greeks bearing gifts. Although if somebody brings me a gift, I think it's really nice, you know. <laughs> yes, I, I think it's really good. Gifts are good. Oh, by the way, you're listening to Echoes on Kidnappers Kids today. Yes, and um, I'm having a good time. I hope you're having a good time too. Don't forget, whether it's Echoes or my pal Duckstar, you can call us in and leave us a message <coughs> on the telephone number or it what is eight seven double eight seven one zero and we'd love to have a message from you. You could tell us a joke. I'd like to have a good laugh <laughs> Oh dear indeed, yes, and there's a couple more stories. I'm not doing a lot today, you know, 
I get very tired, yes. And this time, oh, that's not nice. He's selfish. He's a giant. And so the story is called The Selfish Giant. Hmm. long time ago, there lived a very wealthy giant. To him belonged a great castle, which was surrounded by a large and lovely garden. Every afternoon, when they were let out of school, the children used to come to the giant's garden. It was a wonderful place for them to play. The ground was all covered with soft green grass, and here and there over the grass stood many beautiful flowers. There were twelve peach trees which in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds would sit on the trees and sing so sweetly that the children used to pause in their play just to listen to them. And one would say to another, How happy we are here! The children had never seen the giant to whom the garden belonged. He had gone away seven years before to visit another giant who was a friend of his. But after he had stayed with his friend for seven years, he had said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and so it was that he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived there and found the children playing in the garden, he became very angry. What are you doing here? The children were frightened and ran away, but the giant was not a bit dismayed. In fact, he was glad to see them go. He began at once to build a high wall all around the garden. My own garden is my own garden. Anyone can understand that. And I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. When he finished the wall, he tacked onto it a sign which read, Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children now had nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they did not like it. They used to wander around the high wall when their lessons were over and talk about the beautiful garden inside. And one would say to another, How happy we were there. The following year, when the spring came, there were little blossoms and little birds all over the countryside. But in the garden of the selfish giant, it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as no children were there. Even the trees forgot to blossom. One beautiful flower put its head out from under the grass and looked around. I wonder why the children are no longer here. And then it saw the sign on the wall, which plainly read, Trespassers will be prosecuted. What a pity. And the beautiful flower was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only ones who were really pleased with the giant's selfishness were the snow and the frost. Spring has forgotten this garden, so we will live here all year round. <laughs> and the snow covered up the grass with her great white cloak, and the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the north wind. Come and stay with us. And the north wind came. 
He was wrapped in furs and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney pots down. He too was pleased. This is a most delightful spot. We must ask the hail to visit us. So the hail came. And every day for hours he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates. And then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed all in gray, and his breath was like ice. Day after day, the selfish giant sat at the window and looked out at his cold, white garden. I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming this year. I hope there will soon be a change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor did the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden but that of the giant. To him I shall give nothing. He is too selfish. So it was always winter there, and the north wind, and the hail, and the frost, and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning, the giant was awakened by what sounded to him like some lovely music. It was really only a little bird singing outside his window. But it was so long since he had heard a bird singing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. The hail had stopped dancing over his head, and the north wind had ceased roaring. I do believe the spring has come at last. And the giant jumped out of bed hastened over to the window and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall, the children had crept in, and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see, there was a little child, and the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about, and when the giant opened his window, he could hear them twittering with delight. The flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene, except for one corner where it was still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. <laughs> He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all around it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. The tree bent its branches down as low as it could to help the child reach them. Climb up, little boy. But he was too tiny. As the giant looked out, his heart melted. He left the window, crept downstairs. How selfish I have been. Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will go out and put that poor little boy on the top of the tree, and then I will knock down the wall. From now on, my garden shall be the children's playground forever and ever. The giant was really very sorry for what he had done. So he opened his front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened that they all ran away. And the garden became winter again. 
Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming. And the giant stole up behind him and took him up gently in his hand and put him into the tree. And the tree broke at once into blossom, and the birds came and sang on it. And the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them around the giant's neck and kissed him. So much. The other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back. And with them came the spring. And then the giant took a great axe and knocked down the wall. It is your garden now, little children. Later that morning, when people passed by on their way to church, they were surprised to find the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played, and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. Goodbye! Goodbye! I had a wonderful time! But where is your little companion, the boy I put into the tree? I don't know. He has gone away. Then you must tell him to be sure and come here with you tomorrow. But I don't know where he lives. I have never seen him before. Nor have I. Nor I. When the giant heard this, he felt very sad. He loved the little boy best because he had kissed him. The others came and played with him every afternoon when school was over. But the little boy whom he loved was never seen again. The giant was very kind to all the children, and yet he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him. How I would like to see him. Years went by, and the giant grew very old and very feeble. He could not play about anymore, so he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, but the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning, the giant looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep and that the flowers were resting. Suddenly, he rubbed his eyes in wonder. He looked and looked. It was indeed a marvelous sight. In the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden and silver fruit hung down from them. Underneath the tree stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass and drew near to the child. When he came quite close, his face grew red with anger. Who has dared to fool me? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails. And the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who has dared to wound me? Tell me that I may take my big sword and slay Nay, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? And a strange awe fell upon the giant, and he knelt before the little child. And the child smiled on the giant. Let me play in your garden. Today, you shall come with me 
my garden, which is paradise. And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blood. I think you can hear the pages turning. Yes. So Dexter asked me to read another story uh, from his book. And this book is by somebody called A.A. Milne, The World of Christopher Robin. It's just one story, one poem. And this, this poem is one what is called Wind on the Hill. Not to be confused with Wind in the Willows. That's something all entirely and different. And it's, it's a nice story. But this one is Wind on the, on the Hill. No one can tell me, nobody knows, where the wind comes from, where the wind goes. It's flying from somewhere, as fast as it can. I couldn't keep up with it, not if I ran. Hmm. But if I stopped holding the string of my kite... It would blow with the wind for day and a night. And then when I found it, wherever it blew, I should know that the wind had been going there too. So then I could tell them where the wind goes. But where the wind comes from, <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> I like that. That's really good. Yes. And somebody will read another story next week. But, oh, yes. Kidnappers Kids on Radio Kidnappers. <clears throat> the voice of Hawke's Bay. Ooh, I like that, yes. yes. Echoes, the voice of Hawke's Bay. Mm. Another story. And this one mm, is Gulliver in Lilliput. I wonder if he's gullible. You enjoy this story and, and I'll talk to you in a, in a little while. began one dark November morning. From my earliest youth I had been interested in travel and shortly after I'd finished my studies I took a post as doctor on the Antelope, a fine ship in his gracious majesty's service which was about to set sail for the South Seas. Just after we left Talalan, a little port where we'd taken on a cargo of spices, we came into the terrible zone of the winds, and very soon we were rolling in high seas, lashed by a furious wind. We only needed this fog to make us feel at home. It's as bad as London. Hurry! The starboard! The wind's going to throw us straight under that reef. We'll have to try and get around it somehow. All hands on deck! Oh, Lord of the boats! Lord of the boats! 
back there for I on the sea, our only hope. this. I'm exhausted. The ship turned over on us. My friend's gone down. Come on, Gulliver. Don't lose heart like that. You're a powerful swimmer and the shore's not so far off now. I- I've touched bottom. I am saved. Oh. oh, what a lovely little beach. There's not a house to be seen. Nobody on the shores. But it doesn't matter. I'm tired out. I'll sleep. Sleep. I lie down here on this soft grass. Without knowing it, I had come ashore on the land of Lilliput, a tiny little kingdom where the men are no more than a few inches tall. Later, when I had learned this people's language, I found out just how astonished everyone had been when I made my sudden arrival. Father, Father, look over there. A mountain has come out of the sea during the night. Oh, a mountain. Great heavens, what will we do with a mountain like that in our little kingdom? Father Crockton, Father Crockton, yes, I've just walked right round the mountain, right round. Right round? Oh, it was a long walk. There's something very funny about it. Funny? It looks a bit like us, and every now and then it moves. Moves? Oh, oh. Quite extraordinary. What sort of animal do you think it could be? Well, I've sent for Professor Akatanois. He's sure to know. Oh. Here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, yes, uh, he comes. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. What's this strange thing that's been discovered? Uh, but... Oh. Oh. But it's very high. Uh, well, at first glance, I'd say... Uh, I'd say... Um, I'll even state... Uh, yes, I'll even state uh, that it's a very... Interesting, yes, a very interesting discovery. Uh, you are in the presence of a, a species which is rapidly becoming extinct. Uh, this species is known as um, man. You all know that in our language, man means a, a degenerate being. Uh, notice the various stages of this degeneration. Uh, the limbs have become fat and long. The head is far too big for the small brain it contains. Yes, these creatures who used to exist thousands of years ago left the Earth to go to um, the moon. Uh, This must be a fossil which has been uh, preserved by accident and thrown up on our shore by last night's storm. Professor, it's moving. My friends, 
If this creature's alive, you must watch out for the most terrible catastrophes. They're a terrible race. You must fix him to the ground quickly before he wakes up. Oh, 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 Hold in that rope there. Oh, oh, a little rope. rope. Yeah. Give oh, a little bit of that rope, rope, please. Please, please now Of course, I heard nothing at all of these Lilliputian goings-on, as I was in a deep sleep, and in any case, I didn't understand the language at the time. When I awoke, I found myself trussed up like a turkey and firmly fixed to the ground. Now, come, let me see. I'm tied down, but I don't suppose these bonds are very secure. I'll just pull with my right hand... And see what happens. Oh, oh, there must be a thousand little arrows sticking into me. Horrible little men. Oh, my hand's hurting me as if I'd been stung by a viper. It's lucky that I kept on my leather jerkin. The best thing for me to do is to lie still. Uh, That's better. Things have calmed down a bit. But there's still a lot of movement over there. Oh, I see. They're sending one of their men over. Oh, he's, he's on a little tower on wheels. <laughs> he's just on a level with my eyes. He's wearing a crown. He must be the king. What's he saying? I'll try and reply. Langro Dehel San, Your Highness. Your Highness seemed to shock him. I'd better try something else. Your lowliness, Langro de Hull. Oh, I don't know what on earth to say to the little man. He seems to be annoyed at everything I say. Uh, all right, I'll try to be humble. Your illustrious majesty, I am your servant, your most lowly servant. All right, all right, I agree, your majesty, but I haven't had anything to eat for 24 hours. How on earth am I going to explain that to him? I have to show him with my hands, that's all. Uh, Hungry, hungry, eat, eat, Mm, mm, yum, 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 eat. He seems to have understood. He's getting down from his little tower now. And he's giving orders. He certainly seemed to be having some effect. From what I heard later, my first meal in Lilliput was something that the people will never forget. His Majesty has given orders that a meal should be taken to the prisoner Man Mountain... Would you be kind enough to make the necessary arrangements? Very well, Your Highness. What am I to do? Lord High, officer of His Majesty's footman. Would you be kind enough to tell the Lord High, officer of the mouth, what His Majesty has requested? Feed that monster. It's impossible. There's only one thing for me to do. That's to ask the help of His Majesty's Lord High, Officer of the Kitchen. Yes. I heard your instructions, Your Highness. I have to give all the food from the Royal Kitchen to the Man Mountain. I have spent 22 years in this honourable calling. And it's the first time I've been asked to undertake such a lowly task. A task unworthy of the illustrious art 
of the mouth. Now, don't be angry and don't let us down. You're the only person who is capable of taking on such a responsibility. <laughs> Very well, I agree, Your Highness. But you must leave me free to do exactly as I wish. Your request is granted. We leave it entirely to you to get us out of our difficult situation. In that case, members of the kitchen staff, go to your ovens and may every able-bodied person in this kingdom help us in this task. Look, Grandma, they've put some ladders against his shoulder and there's a chain of people bringing the baskets of food. Do you know... That's the 500th leg of lamb he's eating. Oh, it's not possible. How can you feed such a monster? Be careful there, for heaven's sake, don't spill kidney beans. Oh, the monster's thirsty. But bring up more barrels of wine. One, One two, two, three, four, four five. five. Oh, what a throat he's got. I'm sure he could swallow the sea. Uh, let me see you. Five hundred legs of lamb, three and a half each. Uh, that makes fifteen hundred and a half. Uh, one cartload of lettuce, sixty and a half. One hundred and twenty small loaves, forty and a half. Uh, five barrels of wine, uh, oh, that makes uh, nine hundred and a half. So altogether we have uh, one thousand five hundred, one thousand five hundred and sixty, one thousand six hundred, two thousand five hundred, two thousand five hundred and a half. Oh, I must have made a mistake. No, no, I was right. 2,500 and our power. Great of how. This man's a bottomless pit. He's going to ruin us. Oh, we must hold a state council right away. Chamberlain, have my orders been carried out? Yes, Your Majesty, we have poured a sleeping draught into the prisoner's wine. Good. Is he firmly fixed now? Oh, yes, Your Majesty. The master blacksmiths in the capital have made 91 chains, and they fix these to the prisoner's legs. The chains are held by 36 locks each. Excellent. <clears throat> Members of the council... You have been in session since this morning to decide on the necessary measures concerning our prisoner. I would be glad to hear what you propose. Your, your Majesty, we regret to tell you that we can't come to any agreement on this matter. No, Majesty, Very well, we'll have to hear from each of you. In turn, Lord High Admiral, Your Majesty, I have no doubt in my mind of what must be done to this animal, no doubt at all. He must be driven out of the kingdom as soon as possible. In other words, you're going to leave him free to come back again and destroy the whole of Lilliput. But we can't feed him. Oh. You've heard the evidence of the Lord High Officer of the Mouth. We are heading for famine. Famine, gentlemen, oh, famine, oh. I tell you. Well, there's no problem then. We let him die of starvation. Oh, yes. I've got a better idea. Let's fire poisoned arrows at him. It's much quicker that way. Oh, but oh, we are getting... Gentlemen, gentlemen, order, please. What if we do let him die? Professor. 
Your Majesty, I must draw your attention to the dangers... The dangers that such a solution involves. Such a big corpse could be very embarrassing, and we couldn't bury it, and the risk of disease would be very great. Let's throw him into the sea. You know perfectly well that the tide would simply bring him back again. Well, that's what you say. Well, the situation seems very difficult. Your, your Majesty... Yes, what is it, Lord High Chamberlain? Uh, the officer who is in charge of the guard set over the man mountain wants to make his report. Let him come forward. Your Majesty, I have news for you, almost incredible news. It really seems as though this man mountain has a heart, just like we Lilliputians have. Huh? It is moved by feelings of goodness. Really? Yes, Your Majesty. As soon as the news of his arrival had spread around the country, a large crowd of Lilliputians came to see him. In spite of all my guards, a number of foolhardy men managed to climb right up on his nose. Oh, Your Majesty, you should have seen the way his enormous hands came down to pick them up. Five at a time. The crowd screamed with horror, and my soldiers were on the point of charging to come to the rescue of our unfortunate countrymen. When we saw the man mounted, bring them close up to his face, look at them carefully, then put them on the ground, gently. Oh, this is most interesting. So he didn't do those fools any harm at all. He didn't even squeeze them a little between his fingers. Oh, no, Your Majesty. The whole crowd can witness to that. You see, then, members of the council, that this is no monster we have to deal with, and it would be unworthy of our Lilliputian hospitality to allow any harm to come to him. But, Your Majesty... The problem of food still remains. This problem can very easily be solved on a national cooperative basis. Every morning, each village will bring six cows and forty sheep to the royal kitchens. They will also bring bread and wine. The royal treasury will see to any other expenses. One of the first things to see to is that our gates should be closed in the style of our country. Three hundred tailors must start the task of making him a suit straight away. In addition, six of our best teachers must instruct him in our language. Later, I shall talk to the Bad Mountain myself. Gentlemen, the meeting is Give me my liberty. You'll have to wait for that. You've got to earn our confidence first. And don't get angry when I give the order for you to be searched. You might have dangerous weapons on you. All right. I'll pick up the officers myself. Here they are. Now, I'll put them in my pockets. Gentlemen, make yourselves at home. Search as much as you like. I can see a large number of curious objects. So can I. There's a big box here. I'd like to open it. it... <laughs> oh, 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 curse it! What happened to you? It, 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 you oughtn't to have opened my snuff box. I'm putting that horrible powder in his nose. However, let's continue. Um, oh, 
Uh, here are some huge metal wheels with the heads of men and women engraved on them. Those are my coins. Oh, I'm in difficulties. I'm all caught up in an enormous stretch of cloth. Big enough to serve as a carpet in His Majesty's banquet hall. Oh, that must be my handkerchief. Oh, something else for his nose. He's very careful about his nose, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, L look at this. Uh, this is a most peculiar machine. Put your ear close to it. Can you hear it go tick-tock, tick-tock? It makes as much noise as a watermill. That's my oracle. I rarely do anything without consulting it. It must be the god he worships. Have you finished going through his pockets yet? Uh, yes, Your Majesty. But if we have to draw up an inventory of all these objects... Put it all on the ground. The prisoner, we shall have to take your sword. As you wish, Your Majesty. I'll just whirl it around my head a little so that you can hear the sound it makes. Gentlemen, 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 remember your dignity. Prisoner, do you mind telling me what those... Huge um, hollow metal columns are that are hanging by your side. Uh, I will show you, of course, Your Majesty. <laughs> Everybody's lying flat on the ground. Even the king doesn't seem able to overcome his emotion. Oh, that's a most terrible device. Hand it over straight away. Let it be taken away to the deepest cellars of the palace. Guards. Let two of the strongest of you take a pole on your shoulders and take away the the, uh, the tick-tock machine to the palace. It will amuse the queen and the ladies of the court. I remained a prisoner for a fairly long time. I did my best to be as nice as possible to the little creatures who came in greater numbers daily to watch my habits. My good behaviour was appreciated by everyone, and little by little they became used to me. Sometimes I used to lie down on the ground and let five or six of them dance on my hand. And finally, the little boys and girls just used to play hide-and-seek in my hair. My hair. One day, the Admiral, Siresh Bolgolam, who seemed proud to be my mortal enemy, came to see me. You are going to be set at liberty, but there are certain conditions that you must obey. Let me read you what His Majesty has decided. First condition. The Man Mountain must not leave the kingdom without our permission. Second condition. He must not walk anywhere save on the main roads. He must not lie down in our meadows or our fields. Third condition, he must be very careful not to walk upon the citizens of Lilliput, nor upon their horses, nor their carts. He must not pick anybody up without permission. Fourth condition, he must be our ally against our enemies from Blefuscu, and he must do everything in his power to wipe out their fleet, which is being prepared at the moment to destroy us. I accept these conditions. Very well. Now, hold your right foot in your left hand, put the middle finger of your right hand on the top of your head, and your thumb on the tip of your right ear, and swear. There. I swear to respect these conditions. Let the prisoner be freed. And since I'm now freed, I should like very much to visit the capital of your kingdom. His Majesty is ready to grant your request. But wait. 
until I have made certain arrangements. Guards, put warning system number one into action. Very good, Your Highness. Watch out for the Man Mountain. Citizens of Lilliput, leave the high road, take your horses and carts into your yards, leave the public squares. The Man Mountain is coming. You can go now, sir. Our herald has cleared the way. But watch out. I know what precautions I must take. Would you like to come with me on my shoulders, Admiral? Oh, oh no, no, thank you very much indeed. In any case, you're being watched very closely. The Lord High Commissioner for Home Safety is already in your pocket. Uh, oh, Lord High Commissioner, don't hide yourself like that. Come and be my guide. Take me to the capital of Lilliput. <laughs> It is a beautiful town. Simple design, but very beautiful indeed. It's in the form of a square, and it has two main streets which divide it into four. Everybody is on the roofs of their houses or in their attics. There's a large crowd. There must be at least 500,000 people. There are 503,476 registered citizens. Oh, good heavens. When I'm on your shoulder, I'm... Higher than the roof of the Royal Academy. The rector of the Academy will be very annoyed when he hears this. So the tallest building is the Royal Academy. And learning is very much respected in this country, I see. But at the crossroads, there's an even larger building. It comes almost up to my chin. That's the Royal Palace. I must have a look at that. What a wonderful, ornate building. What a luxurious place. Crimson velvet armchairs, gold hangings... There's a throne studded with marvellous stones. The king is there, but what's going on? Is there a circus in the throne room? Oh, that is not a circus, sir. But I can see tightrope walkers performing on a rope that's stretched on the ground. Those are not tightrope walkers, sir. Those are ministers. Ministers? Oh, yes, sir. In our country, anyone who is aiming at an important post learns how to walk a tightrope when he's very young. When a post is vacant, five or six candidates perform on the rope, and the one who jumps the highest obtains the post. But I've seen some of them fall two or three times, and they're going back to try again. Ah, they want to show the king just how skillful they are, because there's going to be a war with Blefusco soon, and each one wants to command the army. That's very strange. But who are the people eating hard-boiled eggs? Are they ministers as well? They're special ministers. They're practicing eating eggs by the small end in order to teach people how to do it later. What? Eggs are terrible things. Six revolts, peasant revolts, treachery, civil strife. Revolts, civil strife? But what about? Eggs, of course. People used to eat them by breaking them at the big end first. But the present king's father once cut his finger doing this when he was a boy. Thereupon, his father, the emperor, gave the order that his subjects should break their eggs at the little end from that day onwards. Ah, I see. Uh, but the people didn't understand the reason for this very well. And there were plots and counterplots, and a number of people went into exile in Blefusco. But is that serious? Serious? Our spies have told us that the exiles have formed a huge fleet to come and besiege Lilliput. We are desperately in need of your help. Now I understand why I've been set free. 
It will be my duty to defend the king of this country. It will be my duty to defend the king of this country against invaders. Ladies and gentlemen, I have here a special authorization from His Majesty to relate to you the exploits of our guest, the Man Mountain, who has just set out all alone to fight against the Blefuscudian fleet in its own home port. I have taken up a position on a small hill just outside Lilliput, and with a pair of powerful binoculars, I can just see the Blefuscudian port quite easily. It's about 150 glumpumps from here. <laughs> a few yards, according to our guest. I can see him now. He's swimming towards Blefuscu. He's within the shooting range of the Blefuscudian fleet. He's not taking the trouble to shield himself. He's going straight on. The enemy sailors have seen him. What are they going to do? Oh, they've launched a fierce salvo of arrows against him. This is terrible, terrible, terrible. Our man mountain's going to be killed. But no, 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 he's just coming into port. He's getting out of the water. He's three times as tall as the biggest of their three masters. All the enemy sailors are in flight now. They're leaving their ships and heading for shore. Ladies and gentlemen, they have abandoned their ships. The Blefuscudian fleet is ours. But how is he going to take the ships? I can't see very well. Uh, just a minute, uh, just a minute. Ah, ah, that's better. I can see the Man Mountain. He's tying all the ropes together on the prows of the ships. Oh, oh, this is terrible. My friends, this is terrible. The enemy sailors have formed up again on the shore. They fired another murderous salvo of arrows at him. Can the Man Mountain's courage last out? I, I... Ah, he's cut all the mooring ropes now. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is sensational. Hooray! 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 Ah, Man Mountain's pulling all the boats behind him. Citizens of Lilliput, you can be proud of our guest today. He's bringing the enemy's bastions of the sea to our own country. shown yourself worthy of our people. I hereby appoint you to the post of Grand Nardak in my kingdom. Together we shall accomplish many things. I am your majesty's most humble servant. Our superiority over Blefusco is no longer in doubt. We will force this troublesome, treacherous people to give in. And all my subjects, both in Lilliput and Blefusco, will break their eggs at the little end. Your Majesty, I deeply regret to inform you that I shall never take part in forcing a free people into such slavery. This refusal on my part aroused the king's anger against me. The king's counsellors, too, were angry at the thought of losing all the important positions in the enemy country. A plot was quickly hatched, and Bolgolam was its instigator. It's correct, 
Sharif, pure and simple. The man mountain is plotting against us with a breath of scudian. He must have the supreme punishment. Don't let's act hastily, gentlemen. Bolgolem is perhaps a little jealous because the man mountain captured the enemy fleet without coming for help and advice. I am not in the least bit jealous, but I have learned from a reliable source that we have been betrayed. Yes, the conversations he had with the delegates from Blefuscu who came to discuss peace are proof enough. And don't forget he refused to carry on a war with the Blefuscudians. Death to the traitor! Fortunately, I had become friendly with Red Riesel, Minister of Foreign Affairs, and he, at the peril of his life, came to warn me of decisions that had been taken at this secret meeting of the Great Council. He earnestly entreated me to flee, and I did so immediately. I went as quickly as I could to Blefuscu and asked for asylum there. The king of Blefusco welcomed me in the kindest possible way. Welcome, dear sir, welcome. You struck a terrible blow against us when you destroyed our fleet, but you have obviously understood that it is better to be our ally than our enemy. Together we shall accomplish many things. We shall take our revenge on Lilliput, and all my subjects in Lilliput and Blefusco shall break their eggs at the big end. I was caught in a trap. I didn't want to be instrumental in creating unhappiness in either of these kingdoms, so I began to consider the problem of how to get back to my own country. I had a stroke of luck. One day I was walking along the coast and I came across a small boat that had obviously been torn off a ship during a storm. And so on the 24th of September, 1701, I set sail towards where I imagined Van Diemen's land to be. After I'd sailed three days without seeing any land or any vessel, I caught sight of a sail on the horizon. I waved as hard as I could in order to attract attention. The ship turned out to be one of His Majesty's fleet. I was saved. But what a size the sailors were that took me back on their ship to my own country. An adventure! What a what a treat! He he got to go to all sorts of places, and 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 had eggs. One way or the other, hmm. tall people, short people, yes, all sorts of people, yes. It's good to meet different people, yeah, because you learn lots. That's right. So this has been Eccles on Radio Kidnappers, Kidnappers Kids, yes. Uh, and I've had a great time. <laughs> and there's just one more song. As I pack my things, so does Nelly the elephant. So you have a good time. And like my pal uh, Dexter says, be kind to one another. <laughs> Bye-bye for now. To Bombay, a travelling circus came. They brought an intelligent elephant and Nelly was her name. One dark night, she slipped her iron chain and off she ran to Hindustan and was never seen again. 
way to the circus Off she went with a trumpety trump Trump, trump, trump Nelly the elephant packed her trunk And trundled back to the jungle Off she went with a trumpety trump Trump, trump, trump The head of the herd was calling Far, far away They met one night in their silver light On the road to Mandalay So Nelly the elephant packed her trunk And said goodbye to the circus Off she went with a trumpety trump Trump, trump, trump She looked so proud and grand No more tricks for Nelly to perform They taught her how to take a bow And she took the crowd by storm <coughs> Nelly the elephant packed her trunk And said goodbye to the circus Off she went with a trumpety trump Trump, trump, trump Nelly the elephant packed her trunk And trundled back to the jungle Off she went with the trumpety trump, 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 trump. The head of the herd was calling far, far away. They met one night in the silver light on the road to Mandalay. So Nelly the elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus. Off she went with the trumpety trump, 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 trump. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.